Hey, so I wanted to start tonight by asking a question, and that question is this. What goes through your mind uh, when you think about God? What goes through your mind when you think about God? What ideas, what beliefs, what questions, what doubts do you have? What goes through your mind? What, what is God like? When, when, when you think about God, what is God like? What, what does he care about? Who is he? What does he want? What does he want from you? Does, does it really even matter? Does it really even matter what comes through our minds when we think about God? Well, according to at least one author it does, he says it like this. He says, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What comes to our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What we think, what we believe about God is the most important thing about you. Why? Well, because what you believe shapes not shapes. What you believe about God determines how you live. What you believe about God, it, it determines how you live, what you do, what you say. So that reminds me of a guy named Colin Cowherd. Maybe you know that name, maybe you don't. Here's a photo of him. Colin Cowherd, he's kind of a sports media personality. He's worked for networks like ESPN, Fox Sports. He's got a podcast called The Herd with Colin Cowherd, uh, kind of a hot takey thing. Uh, if you don't care, that's totally fine because that has, uh, it's not really the important part. The important part about Colin Cowherd is something that he said about God in one of his shows a few years ago. He said this. He said, I'm not overly religious. I don't know if there's a heaven. Maybe there is and you go up and it's down comforters and it's mimosas and the lamb chops are perfect and the bed's always made. But what if there isn't? And what if this is it? And what if it's up to you to create it? See, here's what I know. I'm not leaving this earth with regrets. I'm chasing every dream I have, every one. See, Colin Cowherd, he says, look, maybe God exists. Maybe, maybe heaven is real. Maybe it's great. But what if it, what if it isn't? What if, it, what if it doesn't? What, what if this is it? What if this is all there is? What if it's up to you and, and me and us to, to create meaning and, and significance and, and purpose for our lives? What, what if it's up to us? Then what? Well, according to Colin Cowherd, the then what is I'm going to chase my dreams, right? I'm going to chase every single dream I have. I'm going to live life to the full. I'm going to live my best life. I'm not going to have any regrets. See, what he believes about God maybe exists, but maybe he doesn't. What he believes about God, it shapes what he says and how he lives. Or another way of saying it is, is this. How you live, it reveals what you believe. How, how you and I live, think about this for a second. How you and I live, it reveals what we believe. What we believe, it always comes out in one way or another in what we do and what we say. 
Ecclesiastes chapter 5, it agrees with that statement. That's where we're headed tonight. But before we get there, I, I, I want to summarize. I want to go back to where we've been for a second. Because, because we're about halfway through Ecclesiastes and, and something shifts tonight. Something, there's, there's a shift. But, but let me start here by kind of summarizing where we've been, the last four books. So, so if you were here at the beginning a few weeks ago, maybe you weren't, that's fine. But what I said was that maybe more than any other book in the Bible, Ecclesiastes is forces us to think deeply about meaning and, and significance and, and purpose. And I said that as it forces us to think deeply about meaning and significance and purpose, we've got to realize that, that it's not an easy book to understand. If you've been tracking with us for the last few weeks, you're like, yeah, that's right. It's, it's not easy to understand. It's often poetic. It's often reflective. It's often moody. It's full of tension, full of mystery. And yet in spite of the fact that it's often difficult for us to read, difficult for us to understand, it's pretty clear that Ecclesiastes has a goal. It has a purpose. And that purpose is to focus, to bring into focus what matters most to God. So all throughout Ecclesiastes is bringing into focus what matters most to God. And it does that by, by giving us wisdom. Wisdom that's derived from the teacher who's the main character, if you will, of the book of Ecclesiastes. And this teacher, he, he makes observations about life based on his own experiences, things he's seen, things he's done, and he says, look, those things aren't just true of my life, they apply to our lives. So let's go to Ecclesiastes verse, or chapter 1, verse 2. He said, remember, meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher, utterly meaningless, everything is meaningless. That's how we started the series. And if you remember, we said, look, hey, this word meaningless in the Hebrew, it's the Hebrew word what? It's, it's hevel. And a better translation for that word is, is smoke or vapor. And so the point that the teacher is trying to make is that, that life is real. It's real. There's a sense in which life is real. But in the same way that, that smoke or, or, or vapor, it's difficult to grasp. It's kind of elusive. He says that's what life is like. It's, it's difficult to grasp. It's, it's kind of elusive. And that has implications for how we live. Or, or go to Ecclesiastes chapter 2, 10 and 11. He's talking about himself. He says, I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my labor. That was my reward for all my toil. Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless. A chasing after the wind, nothing, I gained nothing under the sun. And so a couple weeks ago we said, look, what, what, the point that he's making here is that, that we'll never have enough. We'll, we'll never be fully satisfied. We'll never have the peace and happiness that God has created us for. Apart from him. Which makes sense because this is what he says in Ecclesiastes 3 verse 11. It says, God has set eternity in the human heart. God has set eternity in the human heart. What that means is that you and I, we were created for more. We were created for more than earthly, worldly desires. Earthly, worldly pleasure. See, we were created to flourish, God says, in the context of a relationship with him and with each other. But what happens to that? 
sin, right? Sin comes in and messes that up. It, it messes up the, the world that we live in. It messes up our relationship with God. It messes up our relationship with each other. And so if you were here last week, we, we, we talked about how the sin of, of envy, the sin of busyness, the sin of laziness, the sin of, of, of being uh, discontent, dis, uh, how it isolates us. Those sins isolate us. And, and remember I said that's precisely what the enemy wants. The enemy wants to isolate you because when the enemy can isolate you, he can crush your spirit and, and he can weaken your resistance against him. Which is why the Bible says that it's not good to be alone, right? Two are better than one. Life is better together. That brings us up through Ecclesiastes 4. So that's where we've been. But where are we going? We shift, right? I said we shift. Because the shift is this. Up until this point in Ecclesiastes, the teacher has made observations. He's made observations based on his experience, based on things that he's seen and did and said. But now he's not making an observation that applies to our life. He's just going to tell us how to live. He's just going to tell us how to live. So he's going to shift from, from giving us observations about life to telling us how to live. Now, now I know, because I'm like you, we don't always like being told how to live, do we? Which is why he doesn't just tell us how to live. He gives us the important why. This is how you should live. This is why. Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 1. Guard your steps. I'm going to read one sentence and then stop. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. I have this, this phrase, guard your steps, highlighted because I want us to catch it before we go on. Because this phrase, literally in the Hebrew, it, it means pay attention. Pay attention to your feet. Why? Why would he say, pay attention to your feet? Because our feet give direction to where we're going in life. And so another way of saying that is, is the direction of our feet dictate the direction of our lives. The direction of your feet dictates the direction of your lives. And so the teacher says, pay attention. Pay attention when you go to the house of God. Pay attention when you are on your way to worship him. But worship isn't just, maybe in the Old Testament it was in the temple. It's not just in the church for us. It's not just on a Tuesday night. It's not just on a Sunday morning. Worship is all of life. God says we worship him with all of life. And so we pay attention to our feet on our way to worship God wherever that is. Now, it's an odd phrase. But it leaves us with a question. It the first three words of this verse, it leaves us with a question. Which direction are your feet pointed? Which direct, think about that. Which direction are your feet pointed in life? Right now, this week, this semester, this year, which way are you walking? What's the direction of your life as it relates to God? See, what's really interesting to me is that the answer isn't in what we say, but in what we do. The answer to that question, what, what, what direction are, what, what, where are our feet pointed, what direction, are, it's not in what we say, but it's in what our feet are doing. You see, some of us, we've got a lot of right answers. We know a lot of things about God. We have good theology, we have good doctrine, we know a lot about the Bible, but I wonder, has, has that knowledge really gotten into our heart? Has it changed our lives? 
See, we've got the right answers, but for some of us, that right answer, it's not getting into our heart, and it's not actually changing us. It's not transforming our lives. And so that's, that raises a different question. If those right answers aren't getting to my heart, aren't changing how I'm living, aren't changing the direction that I'm going, then the question becomes, do we really believe what we say we believe? Because remember, what we believe about God, it shapes how we live. What we, how we live, it reveals what we believe. How you live reveals something about what you believe about God. Okay, back to Ecclesiastes 5.1, second half of the verse. Go near. So guard your steps when you go to the house of God. Go near to listen rather than to offer the sacrifice of fools who do not know that they do wrong. So, so track with the, the flow of this verse for a second. First he says, guard, guard your steps. F- uh, pay attention to your feet. Draw near to God to what? To listen, not hear. He says, draw near to God to, to listen to God, not, not hear God. There's a difference, right? There's a difference between hearing and listening. Hearing is, is passive. Listening, it's, it's active. Hearing just happens. Listening takes effort. Good listening takes concentration. So there's a difference between when I talk to my kids and they say, yeah, 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 Dad, I hear you, and yeah, 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 I'm listening to you. It raises another question. If this is what God, if God wants us to draw near to him, to listen to him, then it raises the question, is that us? Are we people who are listening to God? Are you someone, if you're honest, when you think about your life, are you listening to God? Or are you the kind of person that just tends to hear him? Yeah, I, I hear you, God. Yeah, I, I hear what you're saying. I, I, yeah. But you're not really listening. See, that question, it's uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable for you, probably. It's uncomfortable for me. And, and I'll be the first to admit, it's uncomfortable, uncomfortable for me because I know the answer for myself. That far too often in my life, I hear God, but don't listen to God. Far too often in my life, I, I hear the things that God says, but I'm not really listening. And then, you know what? I pretend like that's okay. That's ah, okay. God doesn't care. God's all right with that. God, No. See, see, God wants us to listen to him, not just hear him. Why? Because God knows what's best for us. God wants you to listen to him, not just hear him, because he knows what's best for you. Now, I, I know that there are also some of us in here right now who aren't so sure about what I just said. You aren't sure that God really knows what's best for you. You aren't sure that God really knows what's best. You aren't sure that God really wants what's best for you. And, I, and if that's you, I get it. I, I've been there. I, I, I understand what that's like, what that place is. And hear me say, it's okay to have doubts. It's okay to have questions. It's okay to be in process with God. You belong here, messiness and questions and doubts and all. But I want you to also hear this, and this goes to everybody. I want all of us to hear because this applies to every single person in the room. At some point, every single one of us is going to have to decide if Jesus really is who he says he is. At some point, you're going to have to decide if Jesus really is who he says he is. If Jesus really did die on the cross and rise from the grave, 
Because here's the thing, if Jesus really is who he says he is, if he really did die, if he really did rise, then guess what? Jesus is absolutely worth listening to. He's absolutely worth orienting your life toward. And so ask yourself, are you listening to God? Are you drawing near to him to listen? Or are you drawing near to just kind of hear what he has to say? He wants you to listen because he knows what's best for you. Let's move on. Ephesians, or Ephesians, Ecclesiastes 5.2. Do not be quick with your mouth. Do not be hasty in your heart to utter anything before God. Another translation says it like this. I like it how it says. It says, don't shoot off your mouth or speak before you think. Don't be too quick to tell God what you think he wants you to hear. Or what, he, you, what you think he wants to hear. Don't, don't shoot off your mouth. Don't speak before you think. Don't be too quick to tell God what you think he wants you to hear. Why? Because what he's about to say, this is the crux of everything that he's leading up to. This is the crux. This is the why. I said why earlier. I said he's going to give us the why. This is the why. Because God is in heaven and you are on earth, so let your words be few. That's the why. Because God is in heaven and you are on earth. Now, this isn't a distance statement, right? This isn't, this isn't a statement of, of the distance between us and God. No, it's a statement about perspective. And that perspective that the teacher is trying to give us, trying to remind us, is that God is God and we are not. God is God and we are not. What that means then is that you're not that big of a deal. I'm not that big of a deal. We're not that big of a deal. Now, that's not what our culture tells us, is it? Now, our culture gives us a wildly different message. One example of that is Nair, which I realize is a real hard pivot, right? <laughs> but, you know, the hair removal product. I don't know if it's a company, but it's a hair removal thing, right? So we're going to pivot. We're going to go to Nair. Nair, apparently at one point, Nair was an iconic brand that uh, was on the struggle bus, right? So uh, needed a bit of a rebrand. Needed Sales had declined. Their message was outdated. And so they thought to themselves, how do we reach a younger generation with a hair removal product? What will we say to them? This is what they came up with. Worship yourself. Worship yourself. Love yourself. Know your worth. The world will follow. What can we say to a younger generation that will get them interested in our product? Okay, we'll tell them to worship themselves. We'll tell them that they're the center of the universe. We'll tell them that if the world doesn't know it yet, they soon will. So just worship yourself. It's genius. It's genius. It's an ad campaign centered around the thing that most of us love the most, which is ourself. Which, to be honest, is more like it, right? That's, that's more like the, the messages that we're used to hearing from our culture. To be honest, it's more like the messages we want to hear. The you do you, the, the do whatever makes you happy, the, the you're the main character in your story kind of messages. Because if we're honest, it sounds really good. It's, those messages sound really good. We kind of want it. But Ecclesiastes chapter 5 comes along and says, no, 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 no. You've got it all wrong. That's the wrong perspective. You've got it upside down. You aren't God. He is. You are God. He is. God is in heaven. And, and you know what? You're on earth. 
Which means that God is the focus of worship, not you, not me. It means that the world doesn't revolve around you. You're not at the center. You're not the king. God is. See, it's not about you. It's not about me. It's about him. But what happens, what happens when we start living life as if it's all about us? What happens when we, when we start living life, when, when we buy into the Nair ad campaigns of the world, and we start to think that the world really does revolve around me, that I really should worship myself? What happens? Well, we start treating life like Starbucks. We start treating life like Starbucks. What on earth does that mean? Okay, so get this. How many ways do you think that Starbucks can make a single cup of coffee? How many ways can Starbucks make one single cup of coffee? How many iterations? Any guesses? 19,000. 19,000 different ways for you to do you at Starbucks. Okay, Kyle, what's the connection? Right? The connection is this, that when we start living life like it's all about me, all that does is it turns us into consumers like we're in a coffee shop. We become consumers that are so focused on, on what we want when we want it. We're consumers focused on having our needs met, making sure that we're always comfortable, making sure that my preferences are the preferences chosen, that I get what I want. And we become consumers. And so really practically, what does that mean? Really practically, what does it mean for us if, if we kind of adopt this consumer mindset as we go throughout life? Well, here, here are a few examples. This, things I see all the time working with college students. When we become consumers in life, this is what happens with friendships. With friendships, when, when I'm a consumer in the context of a friendship, what that means is I become friends with people based on what they can give me. I become friends based on, on what I can get out of people, how they make me feel. Do they give me what I want? And if the answer is yes, then that's my person. Those are my people. But if the answer is no, or if at any point that stops, the, the relationship gets messy, it gets hard, it gets uncomfortable, there's conflict, I'm not getting what I want anymore, then what do we do? We cut them out. We cut them out. Just on to the next one. What about dating? Same thing happens in dating, right? When I become a consumer in life as it relates to dating, then what dating becomes for me is this quest to find my soulmate, to, to find someone, the singular person who can make me happy, the singular person who can make me the best version of myself. But when they can't live up to that, which by the way, nobody can, when they can't live up to that expectation, just move on. Relationship's over. Find someone else. See, my life is all about me. All I'm trying to do is find whatever makes me happy. You know, it's really interesting. So, so this isn't just related to friendships and dating. What's really interesting to me, did you catch who the teacher was talking to in Ecclesiastes 5 verse 1? Did you catch who he's talking to? Uh, go back to it. This is what he said. He said, guard your steps when you go to where? The house of God, which means that the teacher is talking to church people. The teacher is talking to people literally on their way to worship God. And so what that means is that church people, 
people who worship God, people on their way to worship God, that, that this kind of consumer, this individualistic mindset, it affects how we worship God too. That we can become consumers of, of church and of God and, and of the things that God puts into our lives to help us grow toward him. So, so things like small group, things like worship music, things like a, a, a message, things like conferences, right? Things, good things that God wants to use. Good things that God wants to use to, to help us orient our lives, to help us point the, the feet, our feet in his direction. God wants to use things like that. For our good. But we end up making those things about ourselves. We're not immune to doing that inside of a church either. See, we make those. So, so what does that look like? Well, it, it looks like this. I hear this all the time. You know what? I'm just not really vibing with my small group. Just not really connect. Not, not really my, just, just ah, you know, I'm not really getting this. It's a little awkward. It's not, I'm not vibing. So, you know, I'm not really going to be. I'm, it's just not for me. Oh, really? Okay. Or, or what about worship music? You know, what happens is, is people come in and they say, you know, I, I, I love that. Or, nah, not really my thing. I don't really like that. I don't really like her. I didn't really like him. I, I didn't hit that note. That was kind of weird. You know, right? Like, it's amazing how many things we can complain about worship music. But we do it all the time. The message, right? Man, that dude didn't hit it tonight. Not very good. Didn't really connect with it. You know, I've heard that. I've heard that. That was, that was really new for me. I've heard it. Didn't really get anything out of it. It wasn't that good. It sounds so silly, doesn't it? I mean, it sounds so silly when we say that out loud, but, but we say that kind of thing all the time. We're so busy asking ourselves if we like things. We're so busy asking ourselves if we like sermons and we like music and we like small group and we like conferences that what we, what we end up doing is that we miss God. We're so busy asking ourselves if we like it that we miss God and what God is actually trying to do in our lives. We're so concerned at times with worshiping ourselves, we fail to worship God, which is the point of why we're even here. And so I want you to hear me say this. You can read it if you want. I want you to hear me say this, that you will miss the purpose that God has created for you in life. You will miss your purpose in life if you miss this reality. God is God and you are not. God is God, and you are not. I'm not. We are not God. God is in heaven, and we're here on earth. Several years ago, there was um, uh, an atheist, it sounds kind of weird to say it that way, but an atheist society in London, and uh, they, they ran an ad campaign. So if you've ever been to London, you see red buses everywhere, Yeah. Uh, red buses all over the city of London, and so this atheist society decides to run an ad campaign, and uh, this, is, this is what it said. I don't know if you can read that or not. It says, there's probably no God. Now stop worrying and enjoy your life. Th th there probably is no God, so you can stop worrying. Just enjoy your life. All over the city of London, big city, a lot of buses all over. There, there's probably no God, so you can stop worrying about it and, you know, just go have fun. Just go live your life. Just go do whatever you want. Now, I, I want you to imagine for a second. Imagine that these kinds of buses are all over the city of Columbia. 
all over your campus, all over downtown, all over the area where you, you just see them everywhere you go. You see buses, and, and, and you see that ad. There's probably no God. Just stop worrying. Just enjoy your life. What would, what would, what would people think if, if these kinds of buses were rolling around Columbia? What would they say? What, what would you think if you saw a bus like that? What, what would you say? How, how would you talk about it? Yeah, maybe, maybe it's right. I don't know. I, maybe it is, but maybe it's not. Maybe he does, but maybe, maybe this really is all that there is, and so I'm just going to chase every dream. No regrets. I'm going to stop worrying for sure. I'm just going to enjoy life. See, my hope is that if the people in this room, if we saw this bus in Columbia, that we would say, no, 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 no. That, that, that if people saw this kind of bus in Columbia, they would say, no, 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 no. I know all sorts of Christians. I know all sorts of Gen Z college students that love Jesus, that follow Jesus from looking at their life, from me looking at their life. I see that God is most certainly real. See, here's the thing. Followers of Jesus should be living proof of the living God. Followers of Jesus should be living proof of the living God. How we live reveals how you live reveals what you believe. And so I want to leave you with a question tonight that you can keep thinking about if you want. It's this question right here. What story is your life telling? What story is your life telling right now? How you live reveals what you believe. What, what story is your life telling right now? Is it, is it telling a story all about you? Or is it telling a story that's all about him? Let's pray. Jesus, I'll be the first to admit that far too often the story that my life is telling is a story that says I want people to worship me. And I look around and I'm wondering, why isn't the world following? Oh God, I pray that you would free me from that sin. And free my friends here tonight from, from the same. God, help us to point our feet in your direction. Help us to orient our lives toward you. Help us to have the right perspective, the perspective that says you are God and we are not, the perspective that says you, God, are in heaven and we are not. But Jesus, we can't do that on our own. We absolutely need you to do that for us. Help us, help our lives tell a story about you. It's all about you. It's in your name we pray.